Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast, Friday, September 9th. Been a big week for subscriptions at TigerIllustrated.com. I wonder why. The situation at quarterback is the talk of the town, of course, with Saturday's opponent, uh, team from the FCS, Furman, guessing that the two biggest topics are going to be quarterback and the Jumbotron, which looks absolutely fabulous, by the way. Looking forward to seeing it, hearing it as the East End Zone gets a major upgrade. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Football season is grilling season and Jack Oliver's Pool Spa and Patio is South Carolina's premier source for the big three. Weber, Traeger, and Big Green Egg Grills. Blackstone Griddles, too. I'm Jack Oliver. Grill all your tailgate favorites to perfection with a premium gas, charcoal, or pellet grill, then top it all off with something sizzling from your Blackstone Griddle. For grills, griddles, patio furniture, hot tubs, and saunas, shop in store or online at Jack Oliver's Pool Spa and Patio, Forest Drive in Columbia, and jackoliverpools.com. I'm Josh Burrell, receiver and running back for the Florida State Seminoles. When I'm back home in the Midlands, I enjoy grilling and relaxing with my family, and we get everything we need from Jack Oliver's Pool Spa and Patio. Thanks, Josh. I'm Jack Oliver, and we proudly offer the Big Green Egg, Weber, and Traeger Grills, Blackstone Griddles, and beautiful patio furniture, too. We're located at 3303 Forest Drive in Columbia and online at jackoliverpools.com. And we deliver. They're good people. Go see them today. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transfer from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 86 Okay, this interview with Mickey Plyler might be the fastest hour ever uh, in this podcast's four-year history. Just so much to talk about, including, of course, the situation at quarterback. Here we go. Enjoy. All right, joined by Mickey Plyler, fresh off of a three-hour uh, stint on live radio at Chick-fil-A. How you doing? Man, I am great. This is a day, I know people listen to it different than just Friday, but uh, but today I do a show, do this with you, which I love. And then um, speaking over at Sobeys, I know you speak to that group as well with a Clemson assistant coach. And then I'll take my family to first Friday parade, and I know you, your family loves all that, and then the football game tomorrow and all. Man, it's a, if you don't enjoy this time of year and the cooler weather and all that, I don't know, I don't know what can get you excited. I'm pumped, Larry. I'm excited, man. 
I enjoy, I love this time of year. I don't know if I would enjoy uh, spending five hours talking from six to to one o'clock in the afternoon. Larry, I can talk. I know you can. I mean, that's that's it. This is what we do. And uh, now I do have a little cough. I apologize in advance. If I, if I, I do too. Yeah. Um, and mine's was a, I've been diagnosed with a post-nasal drip. I didn't know what that was. But it's nothing serious. And you can't stop it. This is the, this is the best time of year. And uh, my family loves I know yours does. Man, this is just fantastic. No doubt. I had COVID a couple of weeks ago. Got past it oh. fairly quickly. But the cough just will not go away so it's just annoying more than anything i didn't know that uh symptoms were you okay everything fine three days of fever um oh. but uh, manageable fever in that took some of the leave and that kept it down i was thankful you know like some previous versions of, of it of the virus like i heard like nothing you could do would keep the fever down which is that's absolute misery so i was thankful um that i that i got through it pretty quickly had I known you had it, I would have given you a call and I would have played Seven Spanish Angels, the great um, <laughs> poem by, by Willie Ray Charles, where I got to keep your spirits up and your fever down. <laughs> I had something, Larry, where um, I, I tested positive, I mean, negative for COVID, but man, I had some, some bad stuff about a month ago, and but I never tested positive. I only tested twice. I never tested positive, so there's a lot out there, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I want to drill down a little more. So you're you're going to be out first Friday. I guess it's the difference. I guess I'm probably more of an introvert. You're an extrovert. Like I just find myself exhausted when I'm having to talk for long periods of time. I guess you don't at all. Like you could just go all day. No, my my, my wife and I joke that. Well, I try to be authentic, uh, good or bad. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. But you know, you like you try to be who you are. As I get older, I'm less interested in people than I used to be, <laughs> but but I can fake it a little bit. Like I talk to my wife all the time about, like if you if you're in a conversation and you don't know what to say or do, just ask them about their kids or their grandkids or something. But I do have genuine like interest in people. Like I love going to people's businesses and learning more. Like your business model, this podcast, um, you know what Chris Hart does with Tiger Illustrated, like the business models and why it works and why it doesn't work. I'm interested in that, and so we, and you and I, have our friendship, you know, and these people. I'll meet a bunch of people over in Greenville today at, at, at Sobeys that are longtime friends and listeners. And so my philosophy there, we we went to Charleston the other day. And my wife says, "Well, is this worth it?" And I said, "Well, you know what? If they if they're kind enough to ask, then it's you know we we need to do it for these people." So you, when you called me last night, now honest to goodness, I love doing this with you. And so this is nothing, man. This is this is easy compared to some other stuff. The the Sobeys lunch group is great. I've been there yeah. numerous times over the years. Do you know who the assistant coach is going to be? I don't know yet. Um, last year it was Mike Reed, and I, I was not close to Mike before. But, you know, you spend 15, 20 minutes with him while you're eating and learning more about him and family. And I, I, he came, I came away very impressed. I did not ask him about something that you and I do, is that Georgia and Oklahoma and Ohio State yeah. had called just a few months earlier. Or, uh, or even a few months later than that, too, uh, of finding out that. But he's turned down jobs every year. And um, you can tell – I'll tell you a quick story about that. While I'm sitting there with him, two of the guys that he gets committed are texting him 
And another guy that he didn't get committed was texting him. And this is on a Friday. And I, I don't know if fans realize it like they, they go to high school games on Friday night. They fly back in. And he was going to, to Greenville uh, Spartanburg Airport when he left that meeting to go fly to see a game down, maybe down to South Florida. So you think about our day of, like, talking for five hours. This guy wakes up, crack of dawn, the day before a football game, comes over, speaks, jumps on a plane, goes down to South Florida, sees a prospect, flies back, and then has to coach the biggest game in front of, you know, how many people the next day. So what you and I do is awful easy. Yeah, that's that's basically their day off. Was yeah. Their only day off. Hey, uh, by the way, I got on a national sports where I think it was Matt Hayes, who on the news of Dabo making that money yesterday, or made his contract, he broke out that, I think, that very lazy argument of, well, coaches are making this money. You know, players need to, too. And I started – and I, I, I tweeted back. And I don't know Matt Hayes. He's probably a really good guy. But I tweeted back, like, well, yeah, it's long past time for writers <laughs> and radio talk show hosts to have to kick in money to players, too, because we make our living off of players. So, obviously, we need to pay players out of our salaries, too. Right, Matt? <laughs> Did he respond? You know, but, no, I don't know. I, to be honest with you, I hadn't checked it. He might have. But I mean, you know, there's a lot of people do the do the do the gas stations, the Chick Fil A's that I just left, the hotels. They need to start paying players too because a lot of us make money off of this game and this sport. Why is it just the coaches that are getting asked? I know that maybe the dollar amount, but uh, I mean, I, I, there's some hotels and there's some 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 restaurants that are going to be making a ton of money off of players, aren't they? Yeah, you know, it's interesting talking about Mike Reed's. You know, or their coaches busy Friday in general on their quote unquote day off. Dustin Fry was on the podcast last week. Wow, one of my favorite interviews yeah. of the past however many four years. Because you know he's been out of coaching since they got fired at Arkansas, right? And he's living up in Tryon, North Carolina, with his wife and two kids. He's volunteer coaching for Polk County High School. He's coaching offensive and defensive line. They have 28 players on the roster, so everybody's playing both ways. And he goes and plays golf. He's joined the local golf club. He's made friends. It is really fascinating and kind of a revelation to hear somebody who's out of the business now. Like we've heard, you know, how how, how much this has grinded coaches away, like Matt Luke gave it up, or at least temporarily. Others have. There's been predictions of more, of more coming just because of the the demands um, and, and how much time you're away from your family. Uh, it was really interesting to hear his perspective on looking back at being in that sort of meat grinder. Like you know, you're watching a movie with your wife on a you know on a Tuesday night or whatever, and it's like, up, oh, you got to get on this Facetime with this recruit and ask him how his day went at school. Like, what'd you eat? You know, how you doing? It's just kind of like, not that they don't have legitimate relationships with these kids, but so that it doesn't. A lot of the whole process doesn't make much sense. I think we've talked about this before. Well, two things that I think about, like Kevin Steele having to do a dance, <laughs> rap, hip hop video yes. recruit. Like, <laughs> talk about authenticity. Like, uh, that doesn't feel very authentic to me. Um, and the other thing, here's a quick story for you. So I was very fortunate years ago to get to play Augusta National. And what I did, I, uh, Woody McCorvey, who I knew before, who was at Alabama maybe at the time. This is in 97. i got to go back and look at where he was. And uh, a very successful businessman in the state of Alabama, a 
guy named Frank Momberg, who was a jeweler there in, in, in Birmingham, um, played. And we played with Tom, the late Tommy Crenshaw, a great friend who passed away, who was the, who was the uh, horticulturist there. So we get to Amen Corner. And Woody tells us a story. He goes, so I've got a friend of mine that was in coaching for years, and he coached at Auburn. And he said that they, they had this run late in the year where they would play somebody and then Georgia and then Alabama back to back to back. And they called it. He goes, the staff called it Amen Corner, right? Three games there uh, of Amen Corner. And he said, this guy gets out of the football business, and he gets into the car business. And Woody says, man, I know you got pressure in football, but, like, how's the pressure in the car business? And he said, Woody, it's Amen Corner 365. Wow. But those guys do well a lot of times. Like Dabo is a great example of it. Like, he did well in business because of the work ethic and the organizational skills and the delegation skills, all that in, in private business. And uh, this guy did obviously really well. Jeff Davis is a great example of that. Have I ever told you Jeff Davis story about this car dealer? I don't think so. So Jeff retired from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He was the leading tackler, by the way, in the history of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers very early. And he retired. He didn't know what he was going to do. And, and Alan Reeves, who Clemson fans know from the Reeves football facility, owned several car dealerships there. And so Alan said, come sell cars with me. And Jeff's like, I hadn't sold a car in my life. I don't know anything about car sales. And he goes, you'll do great. Just come on. And Jeff tells a story that the very first time that he, he, the first day of work, he sits in at this long board table, and there's like 25 guys sitting at this table. And they're all very experienced car dealers. And they go through this, this board meeting, and at the end of it, uh, Mr. Reeves says, Guys, I want to introduce our newest sales guy here, Jeff Davis. Jeff, you would want to say anything. And Jeff said, my competitive spirits kick in. And he said, I asked him. The one thing I said was, all right, who's the number one salesman here? And a guy raised his hand, and Jeff said, well, you're number two now. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? Wow. But, yeah, these guys transition, and, 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 uh, and they do pretty well. But, it, you know, sometimes they don't, they don't do as well because – uh, they get almost institutionalized by what they're doing right now. A little Shawshank, right? Where they get institutionalized by just the football world they live in and isolated there. The one thing I would that I would find hard to deal with is for a, for the average big time college assistant coach, who yes, they're paid a lot more money than they used to get paid. Um, is how many moments of real joy? do you have through the year and how long do those moments last? Like you have 12 games. And even if you have a huge win, as Dustin pointed out, he made a great point. He said, you could, you could win, but if your position group has not played well, you're like, Oh God, like you're, you're not happy. You don't go home happy. And so even, even if everything matches up, your team wins uh, it's against a you know good competition. Your position group does well. You get to enjoy that for four hours. And he 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 made the point. He said noon games. Every coach, every single coach, longs for noon games because that gives you more time. You know, you're out in the parking lot or home at at, at three thirty four o'clock, and you're able to be a normal person for longer because of that. You know. I have Dr. Milt Louder on, sports psychologist uh, with Clemson Athletics on my show every Tuesday. And one of the things he keeps talking about is Dabo being grounded in his beliefs and his culture 
of and, 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 and you know, Saban tells that story too. I mean, I tell the Saban story about the national championship stuff where it is truly about a process, but it, it's like where your foundation is. So uh, while we live in a wins and loss world, we keep score. Bill talks about that all the time. But if you, you can have more joy if you're not just solely uh, out-based, outcome-based, you know, uh, success or failure. So, unfortunately, we do keep scores fans and all this kind of stuff. But what Milt talks about is that Dabo truly is about a culture, and it truly is about a process, and it truly is about the development of these young men. And it's not just because you can play your, your best game and still lose depending on the opponent. And you can play your, your, your worst game and still win. So it's about a process there where um, the, still the family aspect, and I think that's the beauty of what they do over there. You know, Bruce Arians tells that story of, he tells his assistant coaches, if you're here past 8 o'clock at night, I'm firing you. Go spend some time with your family. And Matt Luke probably found that out. You know, Gene Chizik, I think, is a better person now than he was as a head coach. He talks about his family all the time now. Um, you can get caught up in that end of it, but if you if, – I do think there's joy in in the process of raising these young men and help develop these young men. Fans don't want to hear that because it's just about the next completed pass or the next series. But the guys that I know that are close enough to get it, they do have some joy, right? You know that, Larry. You know some of those guys. Like, there's, there's joy in their families and in their raising these young men, too. Or am I just living romantically with what I hear? No, there is. I just, I just wouldn't want to do it. <laughs> No, no, no. You're right. And by the way, a lawyer, you're right. And Fry's right. Coach Fry's right through all that. Like, there's a lot in there every single week. But that's because we misplaced our priorities, in my opinion. Yeah. Right. right. And he's probably refining those priorities now, coaching high school football as a volunteer coach. Maybe. I'm hopeful of that. He, right? he is. And, and, and it's a sort of a part-time thing. It's not like he's there all the time. And he said – this is really interesting. He said for the first time in his whole life, he's out of the high-pressure world of sports. Yeah. And and if you think about it, he was at Somerville. Like, that's yeah. basically a small college. <laughs> you know, so as far back as he can remember, from Somerville to Clemson to the NFL to coaching in college, he did not have a normal existence where on a Monday or Tuesday morning he could he could throw the clubs in the trunk like you do. You know, and go up and play around a golf and and and, yeah. and 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 hang out with some dudes, have some com- camaraderie, non-football related camaraderie is totally different. It sounds like than you know. Am I, am, am I misplaced in this thought though? In that, if you, to me, the Dabo, the long-term success. You heard like what Brent Venables. You know, have you read those articles about Brent and, and, like, the phone call he got from, from Dabo the day of his first coaching game last Saturday? Yep. Like, to, to me, am I wrong or misplacing this thought in that man, if you're so much set up for more long-term success if you place your values right to begin with and the, and the ups and downs, not living and dying with every single snap of every single game, um, that being your happiness or, or your joy or, or your failures based upon that, that – Seems like to me in the long play, and Dabo's new contract hopefully will be the long play here. But like you, you can ground yourself a little bit, and that might make it easier than the burnout that we see so often. Is that fair? Yeah. Speaking of Venables, is it odd to you that there are Clemson fans out there who do not like the guy now? In part because he's 
because he's, I guess, borrowing or using so much from what he gathered here and implementing um, over at Oklahoma, which I think should be kind of a compliment. But what are you surprised oh, that people – there are some people who are like, screw that guy, you know. No, I'm not surprised by that. Well, first of all, let me say this about him borrowing. Yeah, it is a compliment. But also, they all borrow. I mean, Darrow borrowed from John Gordon or some from you know people outside of sports. Uh, to, we all borrow. And now, don't get me wrong, Dabo has had some original thoughts. I don't want to say like that, but a lot of they're not reinventing a lot of stuff. They're just using it maybe in different fields than used before. So that's misplaced, no doubt. But no, I'm not surprised because I've seen Clemson fans love Tommy West until he went to South Carolina and then loved him again. Uh, <laughs> can't stand Brad Scott until he comes up here. South Carolina fans hated hated Steve Spurrier until he came here. So, you know, the bottom line is is that no. Fans are fans and fans are fanatic and they're about their team and they don't see the big picture. I, I love Brent. I hope he does great. Love his family. I hope he does great. But no, fans, man, we're fanatical. We we're we're only about one team. We see one color, one jersey. That's it. That doesn't surprise And that's a good transition, a good segue to the current uh, massive topic after 60 minutes of this 2022 football season. A lot of people, well, yeah, I guess a lot of people, it's safe to say, have made up their minds. They're on the Cade train. It's time to go ahead and make the move. Uh, DJ wasn't very good yet again, and it's time time to go ahead and rip the Band-Aid off. Um, your, your take on what you saw Monday and then your take on some of the, uh, some of, like you said, some of the fanatical uh, um, reactions to it. And I guess that's probably not fair to just say, oh, these are just irrational fans because, hey, they could be right. They couldn't, you know, could end up being right in time. Just curious what your um, – what your position has been sort of on the, on the air all this week amid uh, this ongoing and increasing <laughs> volume of the conversation? Um, I just had Roy Philpott on my show, ESPN play-by-play guy. He's in Orlando today. He's doing the Central Florida and Louisville game. Fascinating game for that one. And next week has Louisville and Florida State. That's another fascinating game. Mm. Anyway, on it, he says, I'll go ahead and put it out there because I can. I'm on the cage train. He's going to take over <laughs> and start at some point in time this year. And I, and I cringe. Now, now that's his honest opinion. That's great. Um, what I saw Monday night, I saw a sluggish start. I thought that the offense was hurt by the first snap uh, on third and third down, third and short. They were on on schedule. The snap, bobble, whatever, that hurt. They were driving the football in the second drive. The fumble hurt. Whether he's down or not, I don't know. But still, you can't put the ball in jeopardy there. Tech did a good job of the next two drives. Clemson was pretty conservative. I understand why. Uh, new coordinators on both sides of the ball for, for Georgia Tech and Clemson. I get all that. First game, right tackle, middle, I get all that. I then saw seven of, of ten scoring drives. I saw DJ look a lot more accurate in the second half. I saw I, – I wonder, and one of the things I asked Scott Reimer today is, would you feel differently – because he's concerned. Would you feel differently if you scored in, in seven of the first ten rather than seven of the last ten? And the answer is yes. I get that. Um – I, but I saw it improve DJ in the pass game of accuracy. I did not see improvement with catchable footballs from the receiver standpoint. I did see improvement in the blocking of the receivers. 
But still, in those alpha moments, of, I'm the dog, go get my 50-50 ball, that's my football. I didn't see that. That's a concern. Um, I felt better about the offensive line after watching the replay twice. And then I saw Cade have energy and spark and leadership and a sense of urgency. Some of that was play calling. You know, they called a timeout to get him in the game. There's a sense of urgency to do that. Um, I'm surprised Jeff Collins didn't make a bigger deal out of that. Uh, as far as how it goes after that, um, look, bottom line is that I, I still don't believe – I believe Cade is a better runner in the zone read stuff and getting out on the edge. He's quicker, faster. I think he's a better runner. I think it depends on what you want to do offensively and your, and your game plan there. I, I believe Brandon Streeter and believe Dabo Swinney when they say that DJ is the starter – I did hear different Dabo Swinney yesterday on the Rich Eisen show say that there's not a guaranteed lifetime contract by anybody. But one thing that I will say is that we did this with Cole Stout and Deshaun Watson. We did this with Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence. Larry, it's because you might be the better quarterback in October does not mean that you're the better quarterback in September. Kelly Bryant played better than Trevor Lawrence in, in College Station, Texas in game two. Bryant uh, the first pass of T was great by Trevor, but he was not ready on the road at that point in time. And Kelly Bryant had the better game then, and Kelly Bryant was a better quarterback then. As a true freshman, Trevor developed exponentially each, season, each week, and by the time they played Georgia Tech in Atlanta, he looked better just a couple weeks later. So that's a fluid situation. And one of the things that we, we love arguing about and being right about, if and when K does take over, that means K is better that week. Or moving forward, it does not mean K was better last week. And so we do that, though, like, oh, well, I told you. I tried to tell you. Right. We had this, we had this insatiable desire to be right. And right now, I'm not, the right is that the staff believes in DJ to be the starter right now. He's a better quarterback right now. As K gets more steps and more experience, as we see it play out on the field in a larger sample size, it might prove to be that K is better than DJ. At this point in time, I trust Brandon Streeter and, and Dabo Sweeney, what they saw in the two scrimmages in the fall camp, what they saw in game one. But th- it is a process, and it is something that will develop, and that's okay to develop that. But fans, man, we, we want to be right. We have the sensational desire to be right. And right now, you might not be right. But, but if he does take over in October or November, that doesn't mean he was a better quarterback in September. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and what's what's interesting too, and a little surreal is, I mean, they have a pretty good track record with these with these things. Like the only the only uh, example I think of the past, I think you could find some fault in. And I'm speaking, of course, of 2014 and 2018. Uh, was the Florida State game in fourteen? Um, you could even argue- in that one, though. Even in that one. So, so let's back up on that a little bit, all right? Yeah. Deshaun, people knew Deshaun was more talented than Cole Stout. Yes. Deshaun got hurt, I think, with two injuries that spring. You, you got a better memory than I do. But did he? I think he had two things that spring. No, uh, I, I didn't. I didn't think he was. I didn't think he was hurt in four. Uh, I don't. I didn't think he was hurt in fourteen until, until the Louisville game when he hurt his, uh, hurt his hand. Um, I think in that first spring he had an issue. Let's go back and look at it maybe later. Okay. And revisit that. But I, I thought he missed some time in that spring. Anyway, 
With that said, uh, Cole, and I thought Deshaun should have played more after the touchdown pass to Peak in Georgia. I was extremely disappointed to see more of him. But if you remember, Clemson was leading at halftime. Cole was playing pretty good in that game. And you did see more of Deshaun. He just couldn't move. They didn't move the ball with him in the, right. in the third quarter. That's exactly right. And, and Nick Chubb, and, and that quarterback decision did not lose that game. Nick Chubb and, and um, Todd Gurley won the game for Georgia. They ran the ball in Clemson's throat, and, and Pruitt did a pretty good deal there. So the next week against South Carolina State, I think it was, yep. uh, Cole throws for, uh, has a great game. And, and I think over 300 yards. Now, Deshaun goes like 8 of 9 or 9 or 10 or something like that. that it didn't cost him that game. In Tallahassee, once Cole bounced the one pass out there in the flat, Clemson puts in Deshaun Watson. Deshaun looks great and puts the game in overtime. They had to fumble. Davidson fumbled and all that kind of stuff. Clemson didn't lose that game in Tallahassee because Cole, Cole Stout started the game. Deshaun took a majority of the snaps. And then with, with Kelly Bryant, Clemson went undefeated that year with Kelly and Trevor. So my point is, through the two big ones, the decision didn't cost him a football game. I don't and know. In, and, and I don't know. You don't think Florida State? I think in a, in a tight game like that, that one possession not cashing in is a pretty big deal, you know? Um, yeah, but if you, just, if you just hold on to the football, if, if, if Davidson doesn't fumble, Right, I'm just yeah. I'm just saying, if you start Watson in that game, I think that's the only. I guess what I'm saying is, I'm not saying that's the only example of them being wrong. It's the only example that you can reasonably say maybe they should have, uh, you know, done something different. Maybe they should have pulled the trigger going into that game. But I, I, I can see your logic. I can see their logic. But maybe. back to my point, maybe. like pretty good <laughs> track record here. Um, and it's like people are, it's like there's negative baggage from past quarterback battles when there shouldn't be any negative, negative baggage because everything turned out swimmingly, right? (laughs) Yeah. And it would be different if they didn't win the national championship in the second example. Um, I, I do this all the time. I've got a texture to text my show all the time. And, and I don't want to, I mean, it's occupational suicide for you and I to talk about how dumb our <laughs> listeners and readers are. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I mentioned that last time. But the fact of the matter is, is like, this guy texts in and he's, he's ripping Dabo all the time. And my question always back to him is, how many more games does Dabo have to win? How many more national championship games, national championship appearances, console ball player appearances, or ACC championships? Like, what? For you to say, despite the fact that you've never coached a single down a console ball in your life, what would he have to do for you to yield the decision to him and not second-guess that? I mean, <laughs> you know, and, and and I get it back where, well, uh, I've never played a guitar, but I, I can listen to Eric Clapton and know if it's good or bad. Or my meal, I don't prepare the meal at my place, but I can tell if the food tastes good or bad. I get it. But... Man, they, they've just got, to me, they've earned trust. And the other thing I always say all the time on my radio show is, if I was in Blacksburg, Virginia the last four or five years, if I was in, um, you know, in, in uh, Charlottesville, Virginia the last, well, they, they did a better job. If I was in some places that they weren't winning, if I, was, if I was hosting a Georgia Tech show right now, then I would say, man, question all you want. But what did they have to do for you to go, I'm going to trust how they do this process. And that works out. 
yeah, you talk about comparison with fan bases. I mean, imagine like Tennessee fans in recent years, Miami fans, Florida State yeah. fans, Georgia fans until last year. Uh, I mean, on down the line, you know, Texas, hey, Southern Cal- Larry, uh, Steve Spurrier started Tommy Beecher one year, and then it came as be Smelly or somebody else after that that won the job out. And, and so one of my things was, man, how can Steve Spurrier miss that bad? Beecher was not the best quarterback. Why did he start him? And, and that was Steve Spurrier, quarterback guru. Coaches get it wrong sometimes. And they go back, and, and, and like, like everybody, they're human beings. They're going to make mistakes. But in trying to decide who I cast my lot with, this staff has earned the ability to make that decision and me kind of trust it compared to me and you who have never coached a down in my life. Somebody shared a quote with me a couple of days ago. I don't think it was original, but I had never heard it. It was, comparison is the enemy of joy. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, wow, that is, that's great. And it, I'm wondering how much of the angst right now among, and I, I, I emphasize some Clemson fans, because there's still plenty um, who are having a good time and like, you know, still, wow, this, what a great era this is. <laughs> um, how much of this do you think is related to the, of the angst is related to the comparisons with Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and the fear of being left behind, um, the fear that you're really not going to get back to that level? I would say even if you don't, it's not like that doesn't necessarily mean that Dabo or the staff screwed it up. It just means that that getting to the top of the mountain is really freaking hard. Um, just curious, in your opinion, how much do you think a lot of this angst is fueled by looking over your shoulder at the team over in Athens, the other team in Tuscaloosa, Ohio State, and wondering, you know, are we ever going to get back to, to, to that to that stature from a fan's point of view? I think it's a great point. I made the point on my show last week that that Georgia was not just playing Oregon. Georgia, perception-wise, was playing Ohio State and Alabama last week. So, And it's turned out Georgia looked better than Ohio State and Alabama uh, because, you know, you're, we're all about comparisons through all that. Hey, to, to your point also, if comparison takes that joy away, then certainly social media does as yeah. well. And so there is – this is a hobby. This is our hobby. Now, Kevin Kisner, the, the great PGA Tour player, hits this great shot, whatever, in a pro-am, and the guy's like, man, what a great shot. He goes, dude, this ain't my hobby. Like, <laughs> this is not Dabo or Kirby Smarts or Ryan Day's hobby. This is our hobby. Um, so we that's what we love about all that. But, man, we just rob ourselves of joy all the time, right, in, in doing all that. If, if, if Cade was not as good as Deshaun and Trevor, then mark my words, Cade will be – the joy we taken from that because he did not do what if he doesn't win a national championship, what Deshaun did and Trevor did. And mark my word, Dean Young, who you set me up with, UGARivals.com does a great job. I, I talked to him the other day about like Georgia fans, you enjoy this while you've got it now because there will be a few years in there where you won't be as good as you are right now, and you're gonna take your joy away by comparing it to two thousand and twenty one. Yeah. It's okay. You're not gonna win it every year. It's so difficult. And um, another thing is, like, like we compare ourselves against ourselves compared to what we're doing, to your point about what Georgia and, and Ohio State and Alabama are doing. I mean, 
to me, one of the keys in college football moving forward, and even his 12-team playoff deal, will be the other teams around you. So Clemson would have won the national championship in 19, I guess. Yeah, 19, if it weren't for LSU having one of the greatest teams ever. Ohio State would have won the national championship if it weren't for Clemson and Alabama having two of their better teams ever. You know, and so Alabama would have won two more at least. Clemson probably would have won two more if it weren't for Alabama. So you got those special teams in special years of comparing not only your team to this to the past teams, but your team to those, like you said, to the current teams now. And that's not fair, man. That's not fair to anybody, but that's where we are. We, we're going to a world where we're so we do. We rob ourselves of joy all the time. Yeah, staying on the quarterback topic <clears throat> on Rich, the Rich Eisen stuff, indeed, really interesting um, because – you know, Dabo has been saying, or he said last week, no, this isn't really like 2018 and 14 as much as it's like 2020 when DJ was a freshman and Trevor Trevor was the starter. I tend to think, I thought at the time, still do, this is more trying to keep, trying to build DJ's confidence, trying to maintain his confidence in, in making that comparison. Uh, because I, I dare say that that year Dabo wasn't saying um, – what he said on Eisen, uh, yeah, you got to compete every week. <laughs> you know, he was not calling that a competition. Is my point. Um, and he wasn't saying another another kind of telling thing that that he said on Eisen's show that was very similar to eighteen going into eighteen um, was he said back then we got competitions everywhere left tackle uh, receiver. How come nobody's asking me about the running back competition or the center competition? And it's like well. Number one, quarterback's the most important position on the field by far. Number two, you don't rotate. You don't have a rotation at quarterback. You have a rotation everywhere else, right? So big difference. Anyway, my point is that the stuff he said on Eisen's show, and I say this at risk of of overanalyzing what he said, of parsing, parsing it too much, but it is starting to sound a little more like the tone's of 18 and what he was saying there about it being a competition more that than, Oh, no question. DJ's our guy. And, and I think that's right. I think, and tell me if you agree with this or disagree. I wrote earlier this week, DJ showed enough in the opener uh, to make the case that he should continue to be the starter. But Cade showed enough um, to have more of a look, maybe more of a look uh, with the ones, you know, just, we we want to see more. The coaches should want to see more. I think they do. Is that does all that in line with what you're thinking? Is that fair? Yeah, one hundred percent. In that, and Brandon Streeter too. <laughs> These coaches, they pretty much tell you. Now, there's some coach speaking there, and you can tell Dabo speaks to different audience. So sometimes, and you've been around him enough to know this. You know, Larry, he's a very intelligent guy. Sometimes he's talking to the media. Sometimes he's talking to the fans. Sometimes he's talking to his own team and the parents of his own team, uh, to upperclassmen sometimes, to, to, to freshmen sometimes. So the audience is who I think you have to do to consider there. I think that a lot of the um, great positive talks, the best quarterback room I've had and that kind of stuff, some of it is we don't I, – I believe – I think he thinks a lot of that is true, but I do think that how he delivers that message – is depending on the audience and the intended audience. And through a lot of his struggles last year, 
he's not wrong when he says that we've got to be better around DJ. And Monday night was the best example of yeah. that. DJ was better Monday. He could the balls were more accurate Monday, and they still dropped. Pro Football Focus says six balls. I think that's right. So he's not wrong in saying that, but the message is to DJ in that you're our guy. Now, what Streeter said after the game is that Cade earned more opportunities by what he did on the field Monday night. And so, to me, the process is, yes, now let's see what, how DJ responds to that, and let's see what Cade does with more opportunities. And then I think the following week I think you'll see the same thing, is that Cade will, if he plays well enough tomorrow, he will earn more opportunities against Louisiana Tech, and he moved forward. But isn't that exactly what, what Trevor Lawrence did to Kelly Bryant? Yeah. Like, the Georgia Tech game, to me, was the turning point. Like, that was it. And as a matter of fact, you know, Kelly started that game. But it was obvious that Trevor progressed faster than Kelly did, and he earned the start the next week. And thus the transfer comes out of that. So will that happen that way? I don't know. I mean, you know, to me, like, one of the wisdoms that we hear from fans, basically, is that they expect K to play more, and they expect K to play great during his times. And I think that, too. But what if? You put him in there, and he doesn't do as well as he did Monday night. That is a possibility, right? Yeah. <laughs> but we assume he's just going to play great and that, that this progression will happen. But but to Dabo having to protect DJ and protect the locker room, protect where things go on there, what if he doesn't do as well as he did Monday? What if, he, what if he tries to squeeze in that throw down the seam and it's a faster safety and he picks the ball off in the red zone, which is a cardinal sin. You do not do that. If you're a quarterback, you know? It's such a fine line. Go ahead. Yes. My my guess is that it will be – my guess is it was obvious when Deshaun earned it. And and my guess is it it was – my experience tells me it was obvious when Trevor earned it. And my guess is that Cade will get opportunities to do the same thing. I I hope that both play well. I don't care who, who steps through that door. My guess is that it will be pretty obvious to everybody after three or four games who is more productive at that position. But I don't know who it's going to be. I really don't. Um, uh, our listeners and our readers do, and they try to tell us that. But I, I don't. Do you know what's going to happen? No. I think one key difference between 14 and 18 is that in those two instances, I think everybody in that football office – at the start of the season, knew who the better yes. quarterback was without question. Right. And they just had to go do it, go earn it on the field. I don't think that was the case going into this season. I think DJ um, was the better quarterback during camp, although both both were not all that consistent, not all that accurate throwing downfield, which that's another thing is kind of you forget – it's like you forget about what one of the major one of the major topics of the previous three weeks was, and that was, man, we haven't heard anything about DJ's accuracy throwing the ball. All we're hearing is he's a better runner, he's a better leader. Well, lo and behold, he goes out and is very accurate compared to last year. That's a plus. <laughs> yeah. And yet, yeah. 
oh my God, it, it, it's just too slow with him. And oh God, you know, which is fine. There, he was far from perfect, but right. um, some of those throws were were pretty darn good. And and another fascinating part of this, and tell me if you you you've been you agree with this, and this is on your mind as well. In DJ, you can see the hesitation. You can yeah. even see the hesitation in the play calling, and it feels like that's from eight months of hearing and saying, "Don't make the catastrophic mistake." You know, that's something Dabo said after the game. He, his the most impressive thing DJ did, or the thing he did Monday that he didn't do last year was, "Don't make the the really bad mistake." So you can see that sort of tension, and I guess conservatism maybe in both the play call and, and, and the, and the execution, but then Cade comes in, he doesn't have those ghosts, <laughs> you know? And so he's like, heck yeah. Like Brett Favre, you know, I can make any throw. So yeah. it almost feels like they need kind of a, a median between the two. Um, because I don't think you need a gunslinger with this team, the way it's structured with a defense that is this good, you know? And we we might see that over the next few weeks, if Cade makes a, a poor decision and, and then we know more, we'll know, then we'll say, Oh, okay. This is what the coaches were talking about during the, during August. Does that make sense? Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. I had a texture, a caller point out to me the other day that I, I talked about putting the ball in jeopardy and that the freshman did that. Cade did that. some, and he goes, well, you know who else put the ball in jeopardy? Deshaun Watson. Oh yeah. Last championship. oh yeah. You know, so, so here, here's a good point, and I mentioned this earlier this week on the show. So I don't know, remember the exact years, but when Mac Brown turned North Carolina around and they went 11-1 and one, a couple of years in a row, whatever, and they were right there on the heels of biting at Florida State, Tommy West was the coach at Clemson. And I asked Tommy, who wins this division? Who wins the conference, whatever? Who wins tonight's game? Whatever it was with North Carolina and Florida State. And he said Florida State. And I said, tell me why. He said both defenses are very similar and both are very talented. He said, but Mac Brown's philosophy is that I've got a great defense, and so I'm going to play it close to the vest. I'm going to lean on that. We're going to do have great special teams, and we're going to be conservative on offense, and that's the way we're going to win this game. Because Bobby Bowden thought the opposite. Bowden's philosophy is I've got a great defense, great special teams, that I'm going to take some risk on offense. Mm-hmm. Because even if we turn it over in three downs, I get the ball back anyway. So Clemson, in my opinion, has to decide. Who are you? Are you willing to live with potential mistakes with the freshman gunslinger, the attitude of Brett Favre? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to force the ball to the windows. And if we mess it up, then hopefully the defense gets it back in three plays. Or do you want to be more conservative with that? And let's, to be fair, DJ made mistakes last year. He put the ball in jeopardy last year. But he didn't Monday night. So the identity to me is, A, are you, you going to do that? The other side of it is, are you going to run zone read? Because I, I think – DJ is not a great zone read quarterback. And I think it's slow in the decisions there and, and slow foot and tripped up and I won't say clumsy, but not fleet of foot there. Whereas Cade looks like a really good runner. So who are you? Who do you want to be? I think we'll play a big part in who gets majority of snaps uh, and how productive you are with each, each one of those skill sets. If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, 
commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. So Valero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. I had a little revelation last night. I was watching uh, the Georgia-Oregon game. Um, and I've spent all offseason saying that if Brandon Streeter and Kyle Richardson and the offensive coaches were smart, they would have spent the entire offseason studying what Todd Monken did last year because the that offense was structured, was built very similarly to the way Clemson's is. You know, you have strength at tight end. You have good running backs. You have receivers who you're sort of trying to bring along. Um, you have a pretty good quarterback who's mobile, good offensive line. I'm watching that game, the, the Georgia-Oregon game, and it, it dawns on me. Like Stetson Bennett, obviously he's in total command of, of, of everything. Just amazing. But his quick feet yeah. really, really make that thing go. Um, and I've been sort of, protect, not protective of DJ, but I've been saying that he, he looked a lot better Monday. That's accurate. But if we're projecting... He's going to have to start moving a lot more quickly because Cade, Cade brings that dynamic with his legs that Stetson Bennett does, and that can open up so much. It can get you out of a jam. Um, so anyway, I, I, that was sort of what stuck out to me as I'm watching Stetson, you know, run the show. Uh, the, the the other day last weekend and you can see you could see Cade being a similar type of presence in helping facilitate his, using his legs to help you know facilitate a bunch of other stuff that, that they could do on, with this offense I totally agree with that I love Munkin by the way the misdirection stuff oh and man I asked you about the draw play they kind of run with the back kind of faces yeah uh, on the perimeter Georgia very suddenly runs the ball in the A gap 
Um, it might be a, might be a product of them being so good on defense that they jam the lineup in there. I, you're not moving mass, moving mass in the SEC. They're, they'd run a lot of perimeter stuff, um, a lot of misdirection stuff. I love all that. Now, it does help to throw it to Bowers and Washington and A.D. Mitchell and McConkie plays a big role in what they do. I thought they looked great. But one, there's very few negatives that came out of Saturday, but one of them was that Bennett was pressured a few times. Yeah. But look what happened when he did that. So, yeah, the quarterback does give you that. There's no, no doubt about that. His, his escapability. And, DJ, you know, I mean, much of get on about being a little slow afoot and decision-making, maybe the biggest play was an improv play. Maybe the two biggest plays, the touchdown to Collins, was a little improv yep. in there. And then, the, obviously, the Shipley pass kind of turned the momentum a little bit. Um, I thought the ejection was big because the linebacker was playing well before that. But um, DJ's getting the ball to Shipley was a, a much bigger play there in that drive. So, but, yeah, he's not – He's Roethlisberger to me, um, feet-wise, statue-wise, body-wise, and it's just hard to get – it takes him a long time to get going. Hey, I want, I want to ask you this. Um, I, a, a Bama fan texted me this the other day. good friend of mine, Tim Bachman, says, um, Bryce Young and DJ were 1A and 1B, depending on who you ask, coming out. Why is Bryce Young so highly thought of and, and, and compared to DJ? And I said, well, first and foremost – when Bryce Young, when the play breaks down, is when Bryce Young is at his best. I mean, man, he's he's phenomenal post, you know, in, in the in the in the improvising of when the when the production goes. But the other side of it, the Clemson side of you got to be better around him. Bryce Young has a better offensive line. He's got better running backs. He's got better tight ends. He has better better playmakers at wide receiver around him. To the point where last year he looked phenomenal. When Mechie and when Williams got hurt, when Mechie got hurt in the Auburn game, he didn't look phenomenal. When the offensive line got hurt against LSU, when they, they had 30 yards rushing on 26 carries, whatever it was, he didn't look, and scored 20 points against a team that fired their coach, he didn't look phenomenal. And in the second half of the Georgia game in the national championship, when he lost the second wide receiver, Jameson Williams, he didn't look very good at all. And the pieces around him, to, to Dabo's point, the pieces around him were better. Now, again, the skill set's different. The body's different. The capability's certainly different. Accuracy to a certain extent there, too. But Bryce Young not only has that, but he's got better pieces around him. And when his pieces aren't, he didn't have those pieces, he didn't look the same. Did he look the same to you in that situation? No, but I just think, I, I, I think it's kind of, um, it's a waste of time to sit there and say, oh, gosh, these two were, about the same level in high school, what 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 what's happened? I mean, it's such a crapshoot. Even yeah. you, just, you just don't know. Uh, five stars. I mean, we yeah. you, know, you know. I think one of the lessons of the last couple of years for Clemson fans is, oh, you mean not every five? You can still can you can continue to recruit five star quarterbacks, but you're not gonna get Deshaun and Trevor Lawrence within a a few a several year period like those that that's like the one percent of the one you know like that's just incredible that it's absurd almost that that those two guys came around the same time um two i had a text a good friend of mine text me saying that that dj's biggest sin and potentially k's biggest sin is that they aren't unicorns yeah that deshaun and and, and and yeah to that point you know, as much uh, as much as a lot of these people now are on the Cade train, you wait. Like, let's say, you know, hopefully he doesn't struggle 
but I'm, I'm guessing he will at some point over the next three to four years. And at some point it might be revealed that he's not what those two guys were. And then he's going to face it, you know? Um, I don't think he is, by the way. I think he's a really good player and will be a great quarterback. And maybe Robert Griffin III said lead us to the national championship. I hope that was true. But I don't think he's Trevor Lawrence. I think he's much closer to Sean than Trevor. I mean, Trevor, my gosh, what do you, how do you draw it up any better than that? Um, and, you know, in, in, in thinking about where they're going with it all, it's just his personality, too. You know, these yeah. are two very likable kids. You've been around both of them. Like, they're likable kids, too. So, how does that play? I'll tell you this about locker room, though. My experience in the past is that um, 25 years ago, we talked about what's the locker room look like if you play a white quarterback or a black quarterback. We don't talk about that, thank goodness. Uh, what was the locker room like if you play the, the freshman over the senior? I don't think those things matter. I think the players want the best player to play. And I think that we've progressed past any loyalty towards one guy over another. That wasn't always the case. Now, you know, if you started the young guy over the senior, many times, man, you'd say the, you, well, you lost the senior class. They've been together for four years. Um, the racial thing, you know, you kind of got that a little bit. I, I think we've progressed way past that. I think the players want the best player to play. And then that's why – I think Cade deserves a shot to, you know, play, get a bit more prominent playing time to see. Because you can see in the body language of yeah. the guys around, and talking about that SC State game in 14, the second game of the year, you could see a noticeable uptick in the, in the, in the body language of the starters who were around Deshaun when he came in, that doesn't lie. And so I'm not saying that we're going to see the same thing if Cade comes in for a series with the starters. I, I want to see it. I want to see what that looks like because I mean, my, my gut tells me that DJ still has lots of support and loyalty and belief among the frontline guys on, on this yeah. offense. Um, but you never know. I mean, you know, it, it, I think it needs to play out sort of organically in real games and, and you, you just learn more and that that's the yeah. way that, that it, that it should be. I need a bigger sample size. The other thing Larry is if you paid me uh, $115 million over 10 years, I'll be glad to make that decision. At my current <laughs> pay grade, I am not qualified, or, or nor should I be qualified to make that decision right now. <laughs> One other thing, Mickey, in that second half as the offense got going, the running game got going. And that sort of complements the passing game. That makes things easier. It's like a symbiotic right. relationship. And so but I think – I, I thought they ran the ball on the perimeter more in the second half, and that opened up the – the passing game in the middle of the field. I, that was pretty pretty key there. Yeah, and and as much as we're, we're sitting here talking about, oh, God, the play call, not very good. If you pay attention, if you go back and watch it, they were throwing over the middle of the field Yes, a good bit, which indicates confidence in DJ and confidence yes. from DJ also indicates, okay, this isn't the same old routes they've always run. I think that's a pretty good sign. Yeah, because last year – not only did DJ not have confidence in himself, not only did DJ not trust his offensive line, not only did DJ not trust his receivers, they didn't trust him. And more importantly, the staff didn't trust any of that either. And so 
you know, clamoring. When are we going to throw it in the middle of the field? When are we going to throw it in the middle of the field? Well, Monday night, they threw it in the middle of the field. I, I would expect more perimeter runs. Um, I'm excited about Antonio Williams, what he brings to the table. They missed Amari Rodgers and, and Artavis Scott. I think you or Paul wrote about it. Like It, it looks to be more like Artavis Scott. Artavis Scott got – in that first game against Georgia, if you remember, he, um, he did a great job of getting downfield on a vertical route and made a big catch. I think you'll see that more often in the future. I like Antonio Williams. And then when Randall comes in, you're going to see Adam Randall add another dimension too. It probably says a lot about either the recruiting or the development um, of the wide receivers to think that maybe in October, your two best receivers could be for true freshmen. Well, the reason I think he's Artavis 2.0, not necessarily in production as a freshman, but just in the presence is mental toughness, you know, competitive as hell. And then instincts, like the instincts he showed in turning that, turning that little slip screen back outside. Most freshman receivers run into the crowd, right? They keep going where the play is supposed to go. Right. Well, you know, as fans, we see, do you catch or not catch it? One of the things we see there, I don't know what to do without the ball. I hadn't studied that enough assignment wise. We made that mistake. Pro football focus makes that mistake. Like, I'm not sure what your assignment is through all that. So I'm going to trust the staff on what they do on the plays without the ball. I mean, Antonio Williams played 30-something plays. He had, he had four catches. I'm judging him on four catches. What did he do the other 26 plays? Did he run the right route? Mm-hmm. Did he did he block the right guy? I don't know those things. Um, but I do know this. Like, I've had a sample size of a lot of the upperclassmen. Yeah. Of all the things that came out, right? Like, DJ improved. But of all the things that came out of Monday night, my biggest concern is still wide receiver. Yes. Uh, hey, how about Aiden Swanson? Yeah. You know, how about that? Yeah, um, after, yeah. That first pra- after that first practice of camp, when yeah. he looked awful. Yeah. And and he, I thought he looked great. I thought that um, for the most part, in, in thinking about like the quarterback situation was a concern. I, the offensive line, Miller looked better than I thought at the game and watching it. Physically, I thought he held up, but I thought some like some assignment-wise, he didn't hold up as much. Um, some some confusion there, Com- you know, communication issues. We shouldn't be surprised, though, Larry. That was a road game, even though Clemson had more fans there, maybe. Road game, first start. Um, we shouldn't be surprised by the conservative nature. As it loosened up, it got better. The middle of the field opened up, like we said, in many ways. Um, that was a that was a progression game. And oh, by the way, like I don't understand this criticism. They. You know, they didn't look good early. They looked good late. To me, that's like, okay, the staff made great offensive adjustments. But but also, too, like we penalized the staff because they had two blocked punts and, and, and 41 points ago where they had great field position twice. <laughs> well, like that's part of it, too. And with this defense, I hopefully turning the ball over and, and creating some good field position. I'm not going to penalize the offensive staff because the defense or special teams did their job. In the end, they covered the spread. They won by 31 points against a team they barely beat last year. Like, there's so many positives of joy to celebrate <laughs> what you saw. Instead, we're going to nitpick the other stuff. Maybe. Well, if it were if it were flip-flopped and the offense did what it did in the second half, yeah. in the first half, it'd be, we don't have a killer instinct. you got to be able to put yeah. your foot on the throat. <laughs> foot yeah. on the throat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. I, I was a little surprised. Walker Parks uh, struggled a little bit, but I guess that's understandable. You know, he's moving inside. He still has some... Uh, you know, some growing to do there and learning, uh, playing a playing a new position. You know, so like in the preseason, and even like with Cade right now, like in the argument with Cade, we think he's going to go play great. We talked about it earlier in this podcast. 
But like the move to Miller, I joke with you of, because you wrote so many positive things, rightly so, about Blake Miller that the Heisman Trophy is going to be the first, not second, freshman, first offensive lineman. Um, but like the move to Parks, we trust Parks so much that we we think everything's going to go great. You know, the move plus Putnam to center, man, that that's it's better. That's not a question last year. That is so much better this year. That you know what? There's still human beings, and there's still yeah. some learning in there and growing in there. Um, I will tell you though, after watching, I was a little more encouraged. Yeah, Parks didn't play great. Miller didn't play great. I don't think a couple of snaps didn't look great, but I was more encouraged <laughs> this time than it was this time last year after Georgia and Jordan Davis and and those guys. Yeah. But I think there's now now depth wise. I'm still, you know, a little concerned. But the second team offense looked like they did pretty good in their 10 or 12 snaps or 8 or 10 snaps. So um, that's what this – but all that still is a progress of what they're going to go through to see if they can get better. Last thing, um, the secondary on the perimeter, a little soft. Yes. Yeah. Concerning. Um, Concerning or is it more uh, – they only had two scrimmages. Uh, they were just getting their feet wet. Well – Two things there. Uh, if you if you want to look at the Dabo side of it and, and, and see, he says that I, I believe that I believe that you saw I saw a lot of tackling issues across college football. Um, I saw you know some busted assignments. I saw a lot of that because of maybe lack of time, maybe lack of of um, you know physicality of pads and, and scrimmages. On the other side of it, I mean Jones is a is a veteran guy. You know, I want to see him do better. Fred Fred Davis is a veteran guy. I want to see him do better. The pick six that Wiggins could have had. Uh, I want to tell you right now, I thought Makuba, the pick was great, but I thought he missed about three yes, tackles. Yes, definitely. Um, that's a concern. Yes. So, and it won't get tested against Furman. I don't think that's Louisiana Tech, but you miss those tackles against Wake Forest or NC yep. State. And it's a different story. They've got to clean that up. You know, that axiom of you improve the most from week one to week two. You hope that's the case. Uh, there's a lot of things to clean up. But, Larry, <laughs> I go back to – I was telling Dane Young this at Georgia the other day. I go back to one of my favorite stories. After Georgia and, and Alabama played in that black shirt game where Scott Cocker yeah. said they're going to a funeral. <laughs> Remember that? Yes. It was 31-0 at halftime, right? <laughs> and so so Georgia scores like two touchdowns in the second half. It's like 35-14 or whatever. And I'm talking to our 37, 14, whatever it was. And I'm talking to Burton Burns that Sunday about it, the running back coach at Alabama at the time. And he goes, man, Georgia's just a favorite in the second half. And I was like, what? And he said, sure. He said, because had we rolled in the second half the way we did in the first, what what could we coach on yeah. on Monday? Yeah. So, hey, the good news is on Tuesday this week, it's a short week, but like Clemson had some coachable moments defensively. There were, there were missed tackles. There was a couple of blown assignments in there. There's communication issues in there. But – I thought they looked really fast. I thought oh, the defensive sure. line was dominant, and there's so many bodies in there. I was surprised. But see, I expected more rust from him. Um, I was expecting you know, Trey Williams some rust uh, from his injury. But, man, those guys and the linebacker core, the speed. Do you see Koval come shooting out of a cannon in coverage? I thought it looked much. I was impressed by the speed and athleticism. Definitely. Barrett Carter, my goodness. Um, what, what a difference a year makes. He just looks so comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, oh. and he'll get better too. And then Simpson at a new position. And that's another one. He's inside now for the first time. So all new stuff there for sure. Hey man, I've borrowed too much of your time. I know you gotta no. you're back at the house. You gotta get ready to go to Greenville. Tell well, tell all those good folks I said hello over there at Sobeys. I, I will for sure. Hey, I want uh, Drake to say hello. Do you say tell Larry hello? Hey. Hey buddy. 
First podcast appearance for Drake. Yeah, that's right. First one. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Little first Friday parade tonight. Look close to football tomorrow. Larry, I always enjoy it, man. I wish we could do it more and uh, look forward to having you on my show very soon. Absolutely. Great stuff, man. Have a great weekend. Tell your family I said hello. Likewise. Thank you, buddy. Now, that's a true friend right there. Three hours on the radio at Chick-fil-A. One hour at Sobeys talking to the masses, and he gives us another one of his hours. Really appreciate that. Also appreciate the support of our sponsors for helping make this happen. And then, of course, most of all, thanks to every one of you for hitting that play button. Enjoy the weekend, everybody. Cheers.